This episode of Desert Island Dishes is brought to you in partnership with the independent, family-run butcher, H.G. Walter. Now, I'm particularly excited about this because for over 10 years, I have been a customer of H.G. Walter for both my cooking jobs and also for at home too. They are one of the most respected butchers in the UK, supplying some of the best chefs and restaurants in the country. So it's quite cool to know that you are getting restaurant quality meat at home. And I know I've said this a million times before, but if you start with good ingredients, your life as a cook is so much easier. You barely have to do anything for it to taste delicious. And we know that good quality meat is more important than ever. If you're anything like me, you are thinking more and more about the provenance of the food you eat. And so having a butcher you can trust like HG Walter is just a very comforting thing. Also, never underestimate the knowledge of a butcher. If you don't know how to cook something, ask when you're in there. They know so much. They can advise about cooking times, the weight you need, and they'll always have delicious ideas for how they like to serve something. I found this kind of information absolutely invaluable when I was starting out as a chef. So I am thrilled to be telling you all about HG Walter today. They're based in London, but they deliver nationwide and you can find out more at www.hgwalter.com. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Margie Namora and welcome to another episode of our side dish, The Dream Dinner Party. This is the mini episode where we invite a guest to tell us all about their dream dinner party. This is a game I know a lot of people have played on long car journeys or possibly first dates. So it's really fun to sit down with a different guest every week and hear who they would invite and importantly, what they would serve. The only rules are you're only allowed to invite four people, but they can be anyone you want. And I genuinely think it's impossible to listen without thinking of your own answers. This week, we have the one and only Rick Stein. I know so many of you loved his episode of Desert Island Dishes that went out before Christmas. So I'm thrilled he also joined us to share his dream dinner party. I think Rick would be a very popular choice on lots of people's dream dinner party guest lists. So it was so interesting to hear who he would pick. And I love that Rick's dinner parties all include a lot of dancing. And also some very good tips about the actual art of hosting in this one. Ensuring that you don't run out of time and also that he never wants to still be cooking when people are there, which I think I very much agree with. So without further ado, here is Rick's dream dinner party. What are your general thoughts on the dinner party? Do you get to throw a lot of them? Do you prefer going to them? Do people feel intimidated asking you to a dinner party? I think probably people do feel intimidated asking me to a dinner party, but I really find it hard to believe why they would because I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm off duty. I'm not. I'm not going to be starting to criticise their food. Yeah, not out loud. So that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, that's not right. Sorry. <laughs> so, but I do think, I mean, we, we don't tend to get invited to too many dinner parties, but we do have quite a few ourselves. But it, it, and it, I do t- tend to like to make them more of a family affair. A great thing about our dinner parties is that my wife, Sass, loves to dance. <gasps> Does she? Yes. And uh, it's sort of not really a proper dinner party if we haven't sort of turned the music up and, you know, if they're not dancing on the table, it'd be unusual sort of thing. Oh, that's <clears throat> and fun. it does make it, you know, quite special because I don't really find that a dinner party is so much about enjoying good food as just enjoying good company. Mm. Um, 
So um, I do. We do quite a lot, actually. So is the um, dancing just at the end, or is that kind of just throughout? at the end? Okay. Yes. What kind of music? Mostly seventies and eighties sort of anthem rock. You know, cool. not really. It's normally her choice. Okay. Although my favourite is um, Jefferson Starship. We built this city oh, yes. rock and roll, like, which was oh. actually written by uh, Bernie Taupin. Funnily enough, the words were. Oh, I don't know that. Very much in the around at the moment. Yeah. It's sort of part of a sort of tradition. Yeah. And, uh, so her being like... a very good dancer and you used to being a DJ is kind of the perfect Yeah, and I mean, she, she sort of makes me get up and dance. I'm not very good at it and she sort of sends me up because I'm normally copying her sort of movements. <laughs> but actually one of my guests is, is a very good dancer. Okay. So uh, I sort of thought the reason I would ask him was simply because he always gets up and dances. Oh. Perfect. Okay, so Rick Stein, this is your dream dinner party. Right. Tell us about your dream dinner party guest list. Who are you inviting? Right, well, you, you said living or dead, and um, two of them are dead and two of them are living. Perfect. And um, the first one would be Charles Dickens. Okay. And the, the reason for that is I don't know how he'd be at a dinner party, but I love how he is talking about food in all his books. Yes. And particularly, we did a little piece about a Christmas Carol in one of the series of, you know, set in Cornwall I've done recently because we discovered that Dickens had travelled to Cornwall and mentions it in one of the sort of visions of one of the ghosts. I can't remember which one it is. But, you know, when Scrooge is getting all these sort of um, visions of a much more satisfying and happy life than his own, mm. the food in it is just wonderful. And I, I just remember... Bob Cratchit, who knows his sort of like long-suffering servant, yeah. is going home to have roast goose and mashed potato. I can't remember what else it is. But he just, Dickens just has this way of describing food. And actually all the food in The Christmas Carol is really why we love Christmas so much, I mm. think. It's just incredible ability to, to make the food sort of come alive describing it. So I, I would really like to talk to him about it. Yes, that's But also like to guess. talk to him about his terrible parents, oh. who I think actually inspired all his books and all the cruelty in his books. I wonder what he'd think of what we all eat today and... Well, I guess in terms of British food, there's enough left, like, you know, roast mm. joints, bacon joints, pies, definitely, and pudding, steak kidney pudding. And I think, like, pub food generally is not... not that dissimilar to the sort of dishes he's describing in um, in his books and I, I think in his novels. And I think, actually, that's why anybody that loves the food in Dickens loves it, because they recognise the, recognize the dishes you yeah. know, and recognise how jolly nice it would be to sit True. down with a, a sort of mug of porter and eat a lovely pie <laughs> in a warm, snuggy pub somewhere yes. in London. Gorgeous. <laughs> OK, so who's joining Dickens? Uh, well, I think we'll, we'll go for a living one now, which is actually um, a, a good friend of mine called John Ilsley. He used to be the bass guitarist in Dire Straits, oh, right? Oh, wow. And I see lots of him, and he loves food. There's certain people who cook well and who love food, who you like talking about with food. He mm. also likes really good wine, and so do I. I mean, he's been actually to a, one of, to a couple of my art dinner parties, but you want a few people there that you know really love food yeah. and will actually appreciate what you're doing. Yeah. 
And because um, you don't know, maybe Charles Dickens is going to be a bit bristly in real he life. He might so be a, a bit bristly. I mean, <laughs> he, you know, he was a bit, probably a bit pompous. But but I think that you know what makes Dickens's book so good is that just that sort of anger about you know being sent off to the blinky work in a boot blacking factory at uh, aged 11 or 12 um so that okay. john ilsley definitely perfect yeah he'd be very happy i've mentioned him too yeah <laughs> and his gorgeous wife steph and oh, no she's not invited all right no she's not of course there's only four of us yeah yeah um, okay so who else i think elizabeth david mm. i mean just simply because um i've never cooked for her some of my friends have cooked for her but i didn't sort of like make it big enough before she died, sadly, um, so that it was a, a bit like John Betchman, who spent a lot of time living over across the, the estuary at Padstow at Rock, uh, mm. Trebethric. And again, he loved his food. He might be a fifth person, I know not a loud one, but he got Parkinson's disease and he was too ill just um. at the time when my restaurant started to get really well known. Yeah. So both him and jo- Elizabeth David. But, I mean, it's just... Her books were so important to me as a young chef and a, lot, a young eater as well. And actually to my parents, she she used to come to um, our house in Cornwall. She was a friend of my parents, but I was too young and to, to know who she was, but my brother did. Um, but it was just that sort of like post-war sort of opening up of the country after so much deprivation during the war basically because she had something really important to say, which is the food in France and the food in Italy is wonderful and colourful and we need to go there. So a conversation with her would be good. And also I think because the way I cook is very much the way she she used to cook. So I think, I hope that she'd like that. Mm. Did your mother find it scary cooking for her? I don't know, because, I mean, I think when she came to Cornwall, she wouldn't have been that well known. It would have been in, like, the 50s. So she was probably just a slightly struggling author. It was only later that she became, you know, incredibly famous. You've only got one slot left. Who's the final guest? It's just this friend of mine who's called David Remfrey, who's, like, a, a British artist... And um, he actually curated, or I don't know what you call it, but he's like big in in the Royal Academy. And the reason I, I love David is he he talks about food and he loves food, and I just like talking to people that sort of really appreciate the, the thing about food. The other thing about David, I mean, he's the same age as me; he's a bit older than me, but he loves to dance, <gasps> right? Perfect. And he's a great dancer. He's very <laughs> slim. As soon as he gets an opportunity to dance, he's up and dancing. And I just think, you know, what my wife and and his wife, Caroline, they all like dancing, right? And there's something about dancing that, that sort of, it changes you, mm-hmm. you know? It just makes you feel different, feel happy. Also, it gets your steps up if you care about yes, your steps. Yes, that's true. That's so true. there's everything to, good to be said about dancing. And David and Sass, my wife, are always the first to get up and dance. Oh, that's uh, so it's funny. sort of like just great having them there, yeah. having them there. Okay, so set the scene for us. Where right. is the dream dinner party taking place? Well, I, I suppose there's two places that, that I particularly like them. One's in, in our house in Chiswick. We bought the house. It's quite small, but the people that had it before us just built this really big kitchen dining area. So we were able to put a long table in there, which seats about 12, 14 at a pinch. And that was really important to us because we, you know, just like having people around. Yeah, and you need space to dance. And you need space to dance, exactly. <laughs> and there is plenty of space there. 
So that that's the sort of the, the key one. Okay. I mean, Cornwall, I built this, Sass and I built a, um, what well, we call it, our studio. And, and actually my son, Ed, sort of designed it. But basically I built it to somewhere to film in. Okay. But you, you can have dinner parties there as well, which is, again, a big table. And the same in Sydney. We've got ours in Sydney, a big table. I think it's really important to have a big table and plenty mm. of room to dance. You're right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you have a dinner party, what time do you ask people to arrive? And what time do you actually want them to arrive? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I mean, normally seven, really. I mean, um, they don't get out of there till about gone midnight, okay. if it's gone well. Yeah. But seven, and I mean, it's, I think, actually people turning on time is a bit of a problem. Okay. You know? <laughs> I got this friend who used to do MasterChef in Australia called Matt um, Preston, who used to do MasterChef in Australia. He's English, but he's lived in Australia for many years. He wrote this book saying, when you organise a dinner party, aim to finish everything at least an hour before everybody gets there. Okay. And it's a great tip. Yeah. Because time is a weird thing when you're getting ready for a dinner party you always think you've got time and you haven't and the worst thing really is and I do find myself doing this so much is still cooking when people turn up yeah so he's saying that Matt but I would say in my case two hours before they turn up (laughs) well yeah because otherwise you do just feel like you're their private chef you don't get to actually talk to anyone yeah it's silly because you know and some of my friends like I've got a chef friend, Roly Lee, who actually really likes cooking when people are talking to him. Okay. But I just get yeah, into this like little that. sort of panic station, really, like, and I quite yeah, prefer like not. burn everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It goes wrong. Exactly. Okay, and when people arrive, do you tend to serve a canapé? Or how does it begin? Well, I sort of picked up this idea from, really, from Australia. It's, we call them nibbles. The trick is to give them something really nice but make it look very informal. One of the things I've done recently is in Simple Suppers and in um, the previous book, At Home, I've written these recipes for sort of faux pizzas, which are basically like puff pastry with stuff on them, like and there's one I do with smoked bacon and creme fraiche and cooked onions, uh, and you just bake that off. Much better, incidentally, to do it on, on a, the base of an oven to try and simulate a pizza oven okay. so that this, the pastry is cooked properly. Crispy. You can do it in a really hot fan oven, but you need to have it really hot. And then you just cut it up into little squares, right? And that is the, when you come into, you know, the room and you smell that sort of mm. smoked bacon flavour and onions, it's just little things like that. You just don't try too hard, really. Yeah. You just make sure that when they do eat something, it's absolutely... Wonderful. Would you serve a starter? Don't really serve starters. It just okay. depends. I mean, sometimes I'll get something like up from Cornwall light longestines or mm. some scallops, and then I'll just do them really simply. Maybe the scallops with a bit of brown butter, lemon juice, and the longestines sometimes just cooked mm. cold, but sometimes I'll split them in half and just put a bit of, again, brown butter, or I've got this recipe with a, a little bit of perno and tarragon. I got from Elizabeth David, funnily enough. Well, That's she's going to love that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, unless it's something very simple and quite special, Mm-mm. or you might, I might do something like uh, Iberico ham, you know? I wouldn't be doing a, a thing where I'm sort of like, it's a really seriously considered dish, because then you're, 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 A, you're giving yourself too much to worry about, 
but B, it just looks a bit up itself, really, to yeah. me. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, especially being Rick Stein. Yeah, you just not <laughs> want to show off. No. <laughs> okay, and so what would you serve for a main course? Well, I'd, it just it just depends. I mean, it depends on how many people are there. But I mean, I quite often just do a roast because mm. it's everybody likes it, you yeah. know, and, and nobody really gets tired of a roast. And I do make sure it's really quite special beef, you know. There's a guy in Northern Ireland I've been filming recently that called Peter Hanna who ages um, shorthorn beef and it's just fabulous. Mm. But then I'll do like a fish pie uh, because, I don't know, it's sort of easy. You know, fish pie is a lot of work to actually get together, but once it's, once it's there... Yeah, on the night, easy, it's easy. Yeah. And quite often I will actually serve everything rather than put it on the table. And my son Jack taught me that doing Christmas lunch. You know, it's nice to put lots of vegetables on the table and gravy and sauces and all that. But again, by, by the time you start a Christmas lunch, you probably <laughs> have too much to drink, right? All you want is a plate of food in front yeah. of you and carry on talking. Yeah, and it's very annoying when someone's in the middle of a conversation and they won't pass yeah, yeah, you yeah, the exactly. Brussels sprouts or exactly. whatever, or the bread sauce that yeah. always gets stuck down the other side of the table. Yeah. <laughs> what would you serve for pudding? What would you serve uh, Elizabeth David for pudding? Elizabeth David? Um, I don't know, actually. I have sort of thought about that one. Um it would depend on the quantity of the main course, but yeah, yeah I suppose it was quite a light, lightish thing. I'd probably do something like I don't know, an apple crumble or a mm. bread and butter pudding. Or um, there's quite a few Greek dishes, galactoberico, right? Which is like a sort of um, a custard. It's like a semolina custard, so it's custard with semolina in it in in phyllo pastry. Oh my goodness, I've never even heard of that. It's that really nice. Yeah, that sounds incredible. Yeah. And you've already said that ideally your guests will stay past midnight. Did you really mean that? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's amazing how the time passes when you're dancing. Yeah, oh, okay. I mean, I always sort of think if people leave before 11, they're not enjoying themselves. But of course, they've probably got babysitters to relieve or, you know, yeah. they've probably had enough. Yeah. But I like it going on to like midnight. Not much time after that, actually. Okay, so midnight chimes, a yeah, bit like yeah. Cinderella. Yeah. It's time for everyone to go. Yeah. Well, Rick, that was your dream dinner party. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you very much. So there we have it. Rick's dream dinner party is over. The food has been eaten. The guests have gone home. I do hope you enjoyed today's episode and make sure you're subscribed to catch all episodes of the Dream Dinner Party and also Desert Island Dishes. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.